If you were here last week, I, uh, I started talking about forgiveness. And I can say with certainty that I have never had that much response to a message that I've given ever. Like in the history of ever for me. Um, the amount of proactive emails, the amount of text messages and Facebook, of people that were, maybe, maybe it just resonated because it was like me where some of you were saying I was struggling with some bitterness and stuff that I didn't even actually, I didn't know I was dealing with. And when you look around the, uh, the interwebs right now, it's clear that bitterness and resentment is kind of a thing right now. Um, I, read a, uh, I read a comment this week. Lane, it might have actually been one of your friends. I don't remember now, but he, he said that the internet is a terrible place for forgiveness because it doesn't forget. Your life is just there, and it's captured in a moment, the, the back and the forth, and you're, you're positive, you're negative, and, and that's why, if, you know, you kids, the things we're, you know, with your Instagram, and, you know, you've got to be careful what we're posting because those just live on forever. This idea of uh, Snapchat where it's there and it's gone is, is at best uh, a false hope. The internet doesn't forget. And, and as I thought about what, what happened in your hearts and, and my hearts, it, it, it sort of just kept going. The questions of like, well, what is it to do with my life now then if, I've, if I'm dealing with, in fact, one of the questions was, I, I, so I'm, I need to forgive this person, but it, it's actually still going on. Like it keeps happening. How do I forget and forgive something that keeps happening over and over and over and over again? And to not get into boundaries and things like that, at least not today, I, I wonder if, it was a conversation that uh, Derek, Shujan, and I had over email this week of the question of, maybe we talked a little bit about you know 70 times seven last week with Peter. Maybe that was part of thought process was that's how many times it'll play over in your mind again that I'm going to have to do I'm going to make that decision over and over and over again to forgive and, and if that's like you I don't know about you but there are times in my life where I've had a, an encounter with somebody and I was kind of, I kind of walked away a little angry and I don't know do you rehearse this well I should have said this and, and this, this whole thing is replaying in your mind of why, and then you're almost like reacting it out in your mind again well, if I said it this way, no, I should have said this, I should have, you know. And it's never I should have said something nice, right? I should have just been more, it's like, well, I should have just given a piece of my mind, or I should have, oh, oh, I should have said that. You know, I'm driving on the road, and I, the, the good comeback came. That you know. The imaginations, right? The imaginations that Paul told us to cast down that are inside of us, that, that, that we play over and over again. And I, I grew up in a little town that, do you guys have a square that you drove when you were a kid? Or a strip, you know what I mean? Like that you just drive back and forth? Ours was a square. And it was literally a four block square. And we kept driving around. I don't know if we thought something was gonna change the next time, but we just kept driving. Go by the Dairy Queen, and then by the Curly Cone, and then you get Main Street, and nobody there. And then we drive it again, and ain't still nobody there. But it was a reminder of me when I, as I thought about that, how many miles you could put on your car, how much gas you can burn and not get anywhere. And in your mind, in my mind, I've only got so much mental equity. I've got so many hours in a day to give to something. How much fuel am I going to burn on my past? How much fuel am I going to spin and just keep going and going, putting a lot of miles on my heart and on my mind and not getting anywhere. 
Forgiveness isn't a gift that I'm giving to, to someone else. It's actually a gift that I'm giving to myself. We, we could get into, and, and we did a little last week, but you know, medical science has proven that that bitterness, that harshness, that, it actually has a, there's a physiological effect on our body. Some of you guys work in the medical community, you know that that's a true statement. People's heart, your blood pressure, your, it just, it, it is, it's harmful for you. And what I thought about a lot and prayed and really thought through was that's all stuff that you can't even see. It's beneath the surface. I, I shared a little bit about this in first service, but I, we, as, we aspired to have a garden this year. And you know the Miracle Girl commercial, so how huge this is going to be. And so it kind of gives you this idea that, that's, that it's kind of easy. And ours has not really been that. Now, we're killing it at cucumbers. But our strawberries, like, you know, the stuff we kind of wanted, I picked some yesterday. And, uh, you know, so you know the Miracle Grow, it's like hailstone size or uh, golf ball size strawberries, whatever, but not mine. Mine were like vitamins. They literally, you didn't even have to chew them. It's like almost like a joke. Like, how is it possible? And I'll tell you how it's possible. It's possible because I really haven't done a very good job of keeping the weeds out. And so the strawberries are there, but beneath the surface there are these roots that are stealing the nutrients, that are stealing the needs away from what a strawberry needs to grow because I've got weeds that, you know, arguably, you know, they get flowers on some of them. Uh, we, I could argue that they're plants and they're whatever, but the fact is, is they're killing my strawberries from, the, un, from within. And this issue of forgiveness is so critical because what it does to us is rob and steal from what God, I think, wants us to have in our lives, this sense of joy and fulfillment and peace, the kind of peace that Paul talked about, that no matter, he talked about whether I had much or whether I had a little, I could still have this peace in my life. It had nothing to do with what was going on outside, I think, everything to do with what was going on inside, beneath the surface. When Jesus told a parable in Mark 4 about the sower sows the word, and it said that some of the, the word would fall on hard ground and some would be picked off by birds. But one of the four options of what could happen to the seeds was that thorns could grow up around and choke off the fruit that was meant to grow. That, that says to me that some of us can get to a moment in our lives where we have been fruitful, like we are connected to the vine and things are going, but because we didn't deal with this something inside of us that it eventually, because we didn't deal with it, because we didn't think we needed it, because it's beneath the surface and nobody really saw it, and there was no, it was thorns, there were roots growing up from inside that were never dealt with. We, we talked a lot about it last week, but I heard more from you this week of how many that felt like I didn't even know. See, the roots of the weeds are what really will get us. I could take a corn knife or, sorry, machete. In Nebraska, we call them corn knives. I have no idea why. We didn't cut corn with them. Although I have a scar on my knee from 15 stitches uh, from cutting, but we'd cut it at the top, but then the roots were still there. It grows back next year. And I think that it's so critical. I know it's critical because bitterness in our hearts not only destroys us individually, but you don't have to look very far onto the interwebs and see that it's destroying the body of Christ. 
How many of us know somebody? How many of it is it you? That you were hurt by the church, a legitimate grievance, a spiritual abuse, something that happened that was awful and shouldn't have happened. And because of it, you turned your back on God. And you can say, well, I, I'm still with Jesus, but I turned my back on the church. That's like saying that you love me, but not my wife. I can hang out with you, Darren, but I ain't going to hang out with your wife. I don't like her. She comes with me. Part of the program. And I'm not suggesting that it's just a Sunday morning. I don't want to get into that. But I'm saying that, church, if you're not surrounded by other believers of, of, of Christ and in faith and in community and making each other better and accountable and doing things for the kingdom, you're saying, I like you, Jesus, but your wife, I don't much care for. And you might think, yeah, but Darren, it's legitimate. You have no idea. What he did, what she did, how that went, this church, what happened to me, I was shunned, I was this. I was... And, and you're right, I might not know. We all have a story. But what I do know is this, that if you carry that wound around for the rest of your life, you're holding one hand on your past, and you'll never get to the future doing that. If you hold on to the past, you are doing so at the expense of your destiny. There's this freedom that you can have this ability to not have to hold on tight to something that you can't change anyway. And for us that are sitting here this morning that maybe have been hurt by that, my hope this morning is that the Lord, because I don't think we can do it of our own power, but the Lord will empower you to forgive and to let go so that you can let go of that past and step into the future that the Lord has for you. That you can go to what Hebrews 12:15 calls the root of bitterness and dig it up and let it go. Because if you don't, if I don't, if we don't, it may not be today, may not be tomorrow, but over time, the bitterness, that root that's beneath the surface and some of you know it because it's already, you feel it, it's already choking you off, but some of you don't know it and it's beneath the surface. If we don't deal with it, it will eventually rise up again, choke the fruit that God had for you, and you'll find yourself back. And the thing is, is that it doesn't have to be some big dramatic uh, moment of like come down to the altar. It literally is just a decision. The 70 times 7 thing. It's I just get to decide. I don't get to do that again. It's the hardest, easy thing you're ever going to do. And if you don't believe me, ask Ahithophel. Who? 2 Samuel 16. David's kingdom was in a shambles. The psalmist, his family was torn apart. His son had risen up, stabbed him in the back, and David was on the run with a few of his soldiers. And Absalom, his son, who had overthrown the kingdom, had actually gone to a guy named Ahithophel to ask him, verse 1, to give advice as to what we should do. Ahithophel was, a, uh, was an advisor, was a, uh, like a, a presidential advisor guy. He was one of the most trusted guys in the kingdom. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, here's what you should do, verse 21. How about this? This will make him mad. Go into your father's concubines, who he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. 
And then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on top of the house, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all of Israel, saying to Absalom, what you need is for the people to know that your daddy hates you, that there's never a chance of reconciliation. And by going into your father's concubines and being with them in the biblical sense of the word, that's going to make him mad. Israel is going to, everybody's going to see this and they're going to say, no way they're ever going to get back together. There's no way he's coming back. And if you're Ahithophel, you're saying, you're saying this because if David comes back, he's going to kill Ahithophel because he betrayed him. And so Absalom, it says actually verse 23 that the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. And so was all the advice of Ahithophel both with David and with Absalom. You understand that the implication is that this is like the word of God was being spoken by this guy, which says to me that at one point in Ahithophel's life, he was giving great, sound, godly wisdom to David, that he was a good man that was giving great advice. And so that when he's giving this advice to Absalom, Absalom's saying, this is the smartest guy in the kingdom. I'm going to do what he says to do. And then chapter 17, verse 1, he says to Absalom, second thing you should do is choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and weak and make him afraid and all the people who are with him will flee and I will strike only the king and then I will bring back all the people when all return except the man whom you seek and all the people will be at peace and the saying pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. He's saying look let me kill him for you. I'll send out these men and I'll kill him myself. I was intrigued by this idea because Ahithophel was his friend. They'd worked together for years. In fact, the betrayal was so deep that David would write about it in Psalm 55, verse 12. You can write it down and go there later. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. This is him writing about Ahithophel, his friend. Nor is it the one who hates me who has exalted himself against me, and then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man who is my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together, and we walked to the house of God in the throng. Ahithophel was his friend. What was it, pray tell, that could make a man turn his back on someone who was his closest confidant? Follow me on this and see if you agree. You can write it down and go there later. Second Samuel 23, 34 tells us that Ahithophel had a son named Eliam. Eliam, it says in 2 Samuel eleven three, he gave birth and he had a daughter. Listen. He had a daughter whose name was, don't, don't miss this, whose name was Bathsheba. Bathsheba was his granddaughter. How angry would you be if somebody came in to your daughter, to your granddaughter, and if you remember the story, took her to have him as his own? She got pregnant, and so he didn't want to be exposed as being a thug and so he's, he calls for her husband Uriah to come home 
And once Uriah to lay with her so then that she could get, you know, them because she's pregnant. And if he lays with her, then they could say, well, it's his baby. They didn't have DNA tests and they didn't have Montel. So that's what, you know. <laughs> he said, bring him home. But Uriah wouldn't, while his friends, while his, this, this should tell you how good of a man Uriah was. He wouldn't lay with his own wife because while his own men were out on the front lines and David in a fit of rage and desperation and shame sent him back to the front lines because he knew on the front lines he would be killed. He murdered Uriah, the granddaughter, the grandson-in-law of Ahithophel. You talk about somebody that had a grievance, a reasonable grievance. And at some point, David obviously repented. And next week we're going to talk about that, like forgiving yourself how do you do that? How do you go on? How do you forgive yourself the things that I've done? But in this moment, Hithophil clearly, in my mind, had some kind of a root of bitterness that allowed him still to operate and act as if he's David's best friend for 15 years. But that root of bitterness that he didn't deal with, that root that clearly, I believe, when Jesus said, he said, if you, uh, you've heard it said in Matthew 5, that if you kill a man, that, you know, that you're in danger. But I say if you're even angry with a man, that you're in, you're in danger of being tortured, of being, and I think that that's the anger, that, that you are dangerous. You're, you could do some really stupid stuff if you let the bitterness grow. Paul would say in Ephesians 5, to, to cast away bitterness and anger and rage. He would use that same language in casting down imaginations in 1 Corinthians. There's this thing of where I get to, I need to, I have the privilege of the miracle of forgiveness because if I don't, that root of bitterness will grow inside of me and it grows inside of you. And the irony being, Ahithophel set out to kill David, but guess who ended up dead? Go down with me to verse 23. I think it's verse 23. Ahithophel, it says he saddled up his donkey. These are the moments where I really want to go back to the King James Version, just because I'm forever eighth grade in my mind. It says that he saddled up his donkey <laughs> and he rode it to his city, to his house. He set his house in order and he hung himself. He wanted to kill David, and unfortunately, he didn't understand that bitterness doesn't do anything but kill yourself. Maybe not physically, although some of that has happened, I believe. that One of the roots and the problems with suicide is this hurt and this bitterness, and I can't get past it. But even if it doesn't take your life physically, it takes your life life. You're just driving the square for the rest of your life, rehearsing this over and over and over again in your mind letting bitterness ride your donkey. I had a boss when I was in high school. Anybody to tassel corn, you know what I'm talking about? Come on, Midwesterners unite. There's a guy named Jamie Sumter, who I probably need to forgive the more I think about it. He was, <laughs> he was mean, man, meaner than two snakes. He would just ride me. 
I, I couldn't, I'm 11, 12 years, I can't even reach, you know, it's like corn's tall and I'm not. You missed this one, you missed it, just bam, 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 hitting me over, just riding me like a rented mule. Ahithophel saddled up his donkey and he rode it. You can almost in your mind's eye see it. He's stressing out, he's angry. I don't necessarily, I don't know if he's angry because his advice wasn't following, wasn't followed as much as it was that he knew. This, if we don't kill David now, he's coming back. I know him. I know how this is going to play out. And set his house in order and killed himself. Bitterness. One hand in the past, holding you back at the expense of your destiny. Killing you from the inside out. How do we let it go? How do I, I talked last week a little about communion and the picture of that. And I think even in this is a picture again of the way that I get to choose 70 times, seven times, over and over again, that I'm choosing forgiveness. I'm not choosing to go back and run the laps in my mind. I'm not giving them forgiveness because they ask me. Jesus on the cross didn't forgive anybody that asked him. He offered it up as a gift. But I noticed a similarity here. That Ahithophel saddled up his donkey. He was, it says, was as the oracles of God spoke. He was... It reminded me of, of another man that not only spoke the oracles of God, it says he was the word. And he saddled his donkey and rode into a city, Ahithophel rode into a city and went to his home to set it in order. I believe Jesus, when he rode into the city of Jerusalem that day, he went to a house to set his house in order. That upper room discourse in John 14, 15, 16, he said, look, I'm about to get out of here but I got some stuff you need to know. And it's when he talks of the promise of the Holy Spirit and of love, and it's at that moment that he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Took wine and said, this is my blood that is shed for you. He's setting his house in order. And Ahithophel got to his house. You can see it almost, he's panicking. He's on the donkey, and they don't go very fast, but if you ever ride a donkey, there's so many jokes. If you ever ride a donkey, they don't move very fast, so you gotta beat them, man. They ain't going anywhere. You know, you could see him just riding as fast as he could in the juxtaposition of Jesus riding in on a colt and them cheering. And him, there's no indication he's moving quickly. He's moving through the city. They're worshiping, saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, the word, Jesus who had no bitterness in him, riding his donkey into set his right. And Ahithophel hung himself. Bitterness left him, I don't mean this crass, even though it is, hanging. He left him, it just left him hanging. And Jesus, riding his donkey, setting his house in order, breaking it, the bread and the wine and drinking the wine, he was hung as well, but it was a different end to that story. Because as he was hung that day, it was to satisfy the price for the sins of you and for I. When someone does something wrong to me, what do I want? I want them to pay. Someone needs to pay for this. Matthew 18, he, was, he used the, 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 it was a metaphor of a money, that they owed him money, because that's what it feels like. When somebody wrongs you, I want them to pay. Somebody needs to pay. And that, yeah, that's true, they do. But unfortunately, it's in a currency and at a price that you could never afford. That's why when he talks about 10,000 talents, whatever, in uh, Matthew 18, it's like, it's like our equivalent of saying a gazillion dollars. 
There's no, you just can't get your mind wrapped around how bad this is. And he's saying, I've forgiven them of the gazillion dollars. And when his servant went out, you remember in Matthew 18, and he wouldn't uh, forgive the 300, uh, whatever it was, talents. It was three months salary. Not a small sum, a legitimate grievance. But Jesus was saying to them, you need to forgive in the same way that I forgave. I've forgiven you something you couldn't possibly pay back. And he said that if you don't, it's actually on you because you're the one that is, he says, you'll be cast away and tortured. I don't believe it's speaking of hell there. I just believe it's speaking of what happens when you replay it over and over and over in your mind. You torture yourself. You have this hope that the past could have been different, should have been, and it wasn't. But as long as I'm hanging on to that, it just holds me back. Jesus riding his donkey, riding into Jerusalem, riding in to set his house in order, hung for you and for me, raised from the dead, riding his donkey with a peace and joy and it says there was dancing and it was happiness or there's a hithophil. And my question to you this morning, who are you going to let ride your donkey? Is it the bitterness of a hithophil just striking you over and over and over again? Or is it Jesus with peace? and forgiveness and joy. It's your choice. You can ride out of here today with bitterness on your back, riding your donkey. We're trying to keep it PG. Or Jesus, gentle and loving and peaceful. The choice is easy, it's just that it's hard. It's simple, but it's hard. But it's obvious. And the way that we can do it, the way that you can do it, the way I can do it, the way we must do it, is to take it back to the cross. There's a world out there right now full of humans, and you know what happens in a world full of humans? We hurt each other. Hurt people hurt people. None of us are getting out of here alive and none of us are getting out unscathed. My prayer for you this morning, for all of us, is that we kick Ahithophel off our back and let Jesus ride us home. Knowing that he was gonna pay the price. Knowing that the same sins that you were forgiven of, that person that has sinned against you, is forgiven as well. As our worshipers come back, would you pray this morning that the Lord would show you in your own heart, is there bitterness? Is there roots of bitterness in you somewhere? Who's that person that makes you awkward when you see him at the grocery store? Who's that person that if you say their name, your blood pressure rises? When you think about them, it makes you just mad. Who's the person that changes your direction if you run into them at the grocery store? You don't want to see them because it's like you just can't go there. Maybe it's time to just let it go. Maybe it's time to go back to the table of communion, but today not to do it for your own sins, but to acknowledge and forgive the sins of someone else against you. I want justice. No, 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 no. Trust me, you don't want justice. You want mercy.
Justice is only something you want when you're innocent. I want to prove that I didn't do it. But when you're guilty, I want mercy. I can be a conduit this morning, not only of the love of Christ in my own heart, but a conduit of grace and of forgiveness and of mercy. Do it for yourself. Do it for your children. Again, next week, I know we're, I mean, we're going to talk about some other stuff, forgiving others. And, but gang, I, just, I feel like there's this truth somewhere in here that the distance that God wants you to go is directly in correlation with your willingness to forgive. 70, Peter, I'll forgive him three times. I'll, believe, I'll, I'll forgive him seven times, God. He probably looked at Jesus and thought he was doing him a favor. Because in Amos, the prophet actually says, you only have to forgive three times. That's what the, the rabbis would say. So he's, I'll double it and add an extra one. And Jesus is like, oh, no, no, silly, silly Peter. I'm saying 40 or 70 times 7, 490. It's, it's a whole different game. And I wonder if, though, that your level of forgiveness, because let me tell you, the more, the farther you go with the Lord, the more people you're in act, interacting with and impacting, the more opportunities you're going to have to forgive on a daily basis. So maybe there's a correlation that the, your willingness to forgive is the level that God is willing to take you to. Pray about it, maybe. But for now, for today, would you let go of it? Would you just say, I know that that person did me wrong. They're sleeping fine tonight, by the way. <laughs> it might make you more mad, but it's true. <laughs> You're the one losing sleep, not them. Let it go. Bring it to the cross. Let Jesus ride you, <laughs> not the bitterness. Father, would you take us this morning and show us? For some of us, it's obvious. It's like, that's a straight up, I need to forgive. I believe, though, for some, that there's more bitterness in us that we need to recognize and let go of. That it's beneath the surface. I don't even recognize. Lord, would you show that to me? What weeds are going to come up and kill the fruit a couple of years from now? Don't let me walk out of here today with that in my heart. Lord, how awesome would it be to live in a world, in a church, in a city, in a family, with freedom, the freedom that only forgiving others can bring to us. Right where you're sitting, would you, if you've got that person in your mind, take a step of faith this morning, pray for them. Pray that God would be real in their lives. Throw away the righteous, thunder and lightning prayer and pray for God to just make himself real. Pray, how would the Spirit lead you? But pray for him this morning. Jesus said to pray for those who despitefully use you. Pray for him. Don't let Ahithophel be the end of your story. Father, show us, give us light and insight this morning. In your name I pray.